So we've been working our way through the book of Galatians, and today we find ourselves in Galatians 2, verses 15 through 21. And just a little bit of background, before we actually read that text, you'll remember that Paul writes this letter to the churches of Galatia. Galatia is a region, so there's several churches in this area. And he's writing to these churches because he had gone there, he had presented the gospel, they had received the Lord Jesus Christ, they were following the Lord Jesus Christ, they believed the gospel, and there's both Jews and Gentiles in these churches. And after he left, some people had come in and they had begun to teach some doctrine, they had been able, they had started teaching some things that weren't true, or that twisted and perverted the gospel. And Paul said, remember, there's only one gospel... It's the gospel of grace, being saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, and that any other gospel is not good news. That any other gospel that's presented to you, whether it's by an angel, or whether it's by uh, myself, or whoever, whoever brings any kind of news other than this news, that it's not truly the gospel. So, he says, in light of that, I want you to know that there's one gospel, and you need to of that gospel. Remember, in this text, or in the text as we work through this, he said God opens people's eyes to the truth of the gospel, and that as he does so, he rescues people from the penalty for sin. And that God changes people's lives through the power of the gospel, and as he rescues them from the penalty of sin, he also rescues them from the power of sin. That no longer does sin have the same grip that it once had in the life of of the believer, and that God encourages people's hearts through the proclamation of the gospel and gives us a hope for the coming rescue that will be had in Jesus Christ. So that's the message that he's been proclaiming throughout this letter thus far. And then last week we saw that Peter was being a hypocrite, that Peter had come, had come to the churches in Galatia and he began by eating with the Gentile believers, fellowshipping with them in meal. And then when certain men came from Jerusalem, certain men from James, who were uh, Jewish believers, that when they came, he began to withdraw from them and he held himself aloof. Eventually, he separated himself entirely from the Gentiles. And we saw that Peter was being a hypocrite. And that hypocrisy is a betrayal of the gospel. It's putting on a mask and literally speaking out from under a mask. He was pretending to be something that he wasn't. He believed the gospel, but he no longer longer lived in light of the gospel. He was acting as though he didn't believe the gospel when he was around certain people. And remember, he said that it was because of fear that Peter was doing this, that hypocrisy is born out of fear, that it builds over time, that it begins subtly, but it builds over time, and that eventually it brings condemnation, and that hypocrisy begets more hypocrisy, that others were being led astray in light of this. And it's important to remember all that, because last week's message and this week's message are connected. So with all that background in mind, let's look at our text this morning. Galatians 2, verses 15 through 21. If you'll stand with me for the reading of God's Word. He says, We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Since by the works of the law, no no flesh will be justified. But if, while seeking to be justified in Christ, 
we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the applying of his word. Amen. You may be seated. So we're going to jump right into our sermon outline. The first point in our sermon outline, and there's only two points. The first point is that the gospel offers saving faith. The gospel offers saving faith. To put it differently, we might say that faith in Christ justifies sinners. That faith in Christ is what brings about justification. I want to begin by looking at verses 15 through 16. The first couple of verses in our text. However, before I do so, I want you to notice something significant about these verses in your particular translation. The New American Standard, along with some other translations, put quotation marks around verses 15 through 21. While the ESV, the English Standard Version, and some other translations do not. So this is an interpretive decision. The question is, is Peter or is Paul, excuse me, continuing to speak to Peter here? Is this a continuation of what Paul said in verse 14? Or is this merely Paul writing to the Galatian believers? So it's an interpretive decision. The NASB, the New American Standard, says, we believe this is Paul still addressing Peter here. That he's still speaking verbally to Peter. The ESV says, at best, we don't know, so we're not going to put quotation marks around it. The text, I think, makes it pretty clear, especially with the pronoun we that Paul uses. He says, we, and he's talking to Peter, saying, you and I, as Jews, think with the pronoun we, it's pretty clear that Paul is continuing to address Peter in these verses. So we're going to look at this from the perspective that Paul is still speaking to Peter. That it's a continuation of verse 14 from last week. Clear as mud? Clear as mud. So he's addressing Peter's hypocritical behavior. And with that in mind, let's look at verses 15 and 16. Let's actually back up to verse 14 and read the the whole statement um, by Paul. He says, If you, this is speaking to Peter, if you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, he says, Peter, in reality, when you're not wearing a mask, you live like a Gentile. Not like the Jew. You don't observe all the law. If you live like a Gentile, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? How are you compelling them, forcing them to live like Jews, to keep these laws? He goes on, he says, verse 15, we are Jews by nature. This is Paul speaking to Peter. You and I, Peter, we're Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, But through faith in Christ Jesus, even we, you and I, Peter, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ 
and not by works of the law, since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. So first off, try to break this down a little bit. What does Paul mean when he says, we are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles? Well, some translations actually put that in quotation marks, sinners from among the Gentiles. That's a common phrase referring to the Gentile people. So is he saying that the Jewish people were without sin and that the Gentiles were with sin? No, that's not at all his point. Instead, his point is that the Jews had been given the privilege of knowing the law of God. They'd been raised in a tradition where they were taught the law of God. They had been, as Paul says in Romans 3.2, he says they had been entrusted with the oracles of God. God had revealed Himself to the Jewish people throughout history. He had given, him, given them His Word. He had sent prophets to them. He had brought them to a land of His choosing. He had called them out and said, as a people, you are My people. Now bring Me and My message to the world at large. They had been entrusted with the oracles of God. Unlike the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, who were, as Paul says in Ephesians, he says they were strangers to the covenants of promise. And that they had no hope without God in the world. That they were without God. They didn't know Him. They had, God hadn't been revealed to them. So in other words, Peter is saying, Peter, it is true that we are Jews. Even by birth. We were raised with this knowledge. We understand this knowledge. We were given the law. We were told how to be right with God. We're not sinners from among the Gentiles like those other people. We have been given the amazing privilege of being taught from a young age the things of God. We've been exposed not only to the truth of who God is, but we were also called to live in right relationship with Him. We've been taught what the law demands. That's what he's saying. And then he goes on, and in essence, in verse 16 to say, nevertheless, in light of all that, in light of all that privilege, Peter... That didn't give us a right standing before God. All of that privilege didn't make us right before God. I sent a message to Bill yesterday. As I was preparing this, I couldn't help but think of Bill. See, I didn't grow up in the church. So, I, Well, I kind of grew up in the church. My parents took me to church. They took me to Sunday school. I never went to a church service until I was an adult. But they took me to Sunday school. They dropped me off at Sunday school and they picked me up afterwards. And I actually, my Sunday school teacher was the pastor's wife. We never talked about Jesus. Never. I don't remember ever. Maybe, and maybe my eyes were blind, but I know I didn't have a Bible and I know we never opened the Bible. We did crafts. We made little snowmen and, you know, cut things out of paper or whatever. But we never talked about Jesus, right? So I didn't have the same experience as some of you have. And as I was preparing this, I couldn't help but think of Bill as Paul is talking to Peter and says, we have all this privilege. We're Jews by birth. So I texted Bill and I said, Bill, how many times have you missed Sunday school in a row? Like, what's the most you've ever missed Sunday school? And he said, well, I have, I've had perfect attendance, which means I guess that I've never missed more than two Sundays in a row uh, with the exception of you know, uh, being sick or work. That he's never missed more than two Sunday schools in a row in his life, folks. That is privilege. That's a, that's a real, very real privilege. To be able to grow up in the church, to basically be, be born 
Saturday afternoon and then sitting in church on Sunday morning, that is huge. And to grow up with the things of God, to attend Sunday school, to hear preaching, good solid teaching week after week, to have parents who are pointing you to the truth again and again and again. That's huge. And Paul is saying, Peter, this is how we lived. We're not like the Gentiles who didn't have all this. But when we contrast that with the Gentiles, we think of the guy down the street who's never been to church, ever. Who's never set foot inside a church building except for maybe a wedding or maybe a funeral. And our culture is such that that doesn't even happen as much anymore. That the guy down the street who instead of growing up in the church, grew up, instead of growing up with his parents, grew up not knowing who his parents were. I think of my father. My father, whose real father, lived just a stone's throw from this church building, but he never knew his dad. My father, who was sent off to another state to be raised by aunts and uncles because his mother couldn't take care of him. I think of my father, whose grandfather was a murderer in the city of Rockland in the 30s, which was a big, I mean, it's a big deal today, but in the 30s, it was a really big deal. He didn't grow up in privilege. He didn't grow up having the, being taught the things of God. And by privilege, I don't mean wealth. I mean just the things of God and knowing, being pointed in the right direction with regard to godliness. And that's the contrast that's being drawn here. He says, Peter, you and I are Jews by birth. We're not from among the Gentiles. That's very true. But he goes on to say, but that didn't justify us. That didn't make, none of that, all of that didn't make us right with God. That Bill may attend every Sunday school class all of his life, and that doesn't make him right with God. It doesn't justify him. It doesn't, God, justification is God declaring Bill righteous. And that's only happened by grace through faith. The very same way it happened with my dad. The very same way it happened in my life. He says, Peter, we're Jews by birth and not Gentiles from among the sinners. However, nevertheless, know that that doesn't justify us. Now verse 16 has been called by some to be the most important verse in the Bible. I'm not going to go that far, right? I don't know as though I can take one verse out of the Bible and say this is the most important verse. I think that's dangerous to do that. However, this verse is important, and I would encourage you, really, this section, I would encourage you to commit it to memory, to learn it, to understand what is being said here. These verses should cause us to sit up and take notice, especially verse 16. For Paul is clearly and succinctly stating what is referred to as the doctrine of justification by faith. The doctrine of justification by faith. In other words, that God declares us righteous by faith. Not by works, not because of what we've done, but God says, you are declared righteous because of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And faith, by the way, is more than just intellectual assent, but it's believing in, trusting on. That's what's conveyed there is this idea that we not only believe it's true, that even the demons believe and shudder, but instead trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and His 
work on the cross. So this is extremely important. In fact, it's so important that Paul says this very same thing three times over in this verse. He says, you're not saved by works of the law. The law refers to the rituals and ordinances of the Old Testament. The things they were told to do. The way they were told to live. All of which was meant to point forward to Christ. He says, these things don't save you. Instead, it is faith. So he says it three different three times in three different ways. He says, we are Jews by nature, not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that, Peter, you know this. And first, the first time he says, he states it in the negative. He says, and he states it in a general way. He says, a man, any man, a man is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. He says, you can't be justified by the works of the law. That doesn't make you right with God. No matter how closely you've lived up to the law, no matter how much you think you've done, no matter how many times you've gone to Sunday school, no matter if your parents were deacons, no matter, I don't care what it is, you cannot be justified by works. So he says it first in the general sense, and then he says it in a personal sense, and he states it the opposite way in the positive this time. So he says, Even we have believed in Christ Jesus. He says, Peter, even you and I, as Jews who were given all this privilege, even we've believed in Jesus Christ. Why? So that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. He says, a man can't be justified by works, but instead by faith. And we believed because we knew that we would be justified not by works, but by faith. And then thirdly, he says it the third time in that very same verse, and he says it in a universal way, speaking to everyone. He says, since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. No flesh. Nobody ever. So he says, a man can't be justified in this way. You and I, Peter, we weren't justified in this way. In fact, Peter, no one can be justified by the works of the law. No one, Peter. So he's really addressing Peter's hypocrisy and saying, Peter, why then are you living in such a way that you're leading the Gentiles to believe that they can somehow be saved by keeping the law? That's not how you were saved. That's not how I was saved. That's not how any of us can ever be saved. Peter, don't convey that idea. You're putting on this mask that somehow your your righteousness, your good deeds make you right before God. Peter, it's only faith that makes you right before God. So Paul's point is clear. The law does not justify men before God. The law couldn't justify him or Peter. couldn't justify anyone. That's why in Romans 2 he says, he says, but if you bear the name Jew, if you're a Jew, you bear this name Jew, you're born as a Jew, and you rely upon the law, of the law and boast in God, and know His will, and approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having the law in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of the truth. You, therefore, who teach one another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that you shall not steal, do you steal? So you're a Jew and you teach these things, but do you do them? You, should, you who say that you should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? 
You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law through the breaking of the law, do you dishonor God? This is very real and applicable to us. Because it's very easy to grow up in the church, to develop this moralistic culture where, yeah, we're saved by grace through faith, but then we start to look at the world around us and we say, I know God's law. I keep God's law. And we begin to rely on God's law. We don't rely on grace any longer. So Paul goes on later in Romans and he says, are we Jews better than the Gentiles? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we've already charged that both Jews and Greeks are under sin. That's when he goes on to say, and as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Not Jews, not Gentiles, not one. He says, whatever the law speaks, it speaks to those who are under the law. Why? So that every mouth may be closed. And all the world may become accountable to God, because by the works of the flesh, no law will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. You see, what he's saying is, he's saying, just as he says later on in Galatians, that the law is a schoolmaster. It's a teacher to show us our need for Christ. I love the way Matt Chandler explains this. You know Matt Chandler. He's a pastor of one of the largest churches in America. And one Thanksgiving day, he was getting ready for Thanksgiving meal with his family, and he collapsed on the floor. And they, just, they rushed him to the hospital and found he had a massive brain tumor. And he's been battling uh, brain cancer. And a good, faithful man of God, battling cancer. And he, 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 in preaching through this, he says, the law is the diagnostic, not the cure. He says, the law is like the MRI. I went, I had an MRI, And they said, sir, you have brain cancer. You have a tumor. And he said, I didn't look to the diagnostic to cure me of the disease. I didn't go back the next day and get back in the MRI and try to get cured by continuing to have MRI after MRI after MRI. The point of the law is not to justify us. It's the diagnostic. It shows us what's wrong with us. We'll never be able to keep the law. The law ultimately convicts us of sin. And if you don't believe that, we need not look further than the Ten Commandments. Right? Have you violated the Ten Commandments? Do you have any gods over and above God? Have you ever lied? Have you ever stolen? Jesus says, I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. I didn't come to do away with that, but to fulfill it for you. He says, ultimately, you think you've kept the law? If you've even looked at a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. The point of the law is not so that we may keep it, it's to show our drastic and desperate need for a Savior. It's to show us that we are indeed sick. So having seen, number one, that the Gospel offers saving faith, that faith in Christ is what justifies sinners, not the works of the law, That the true gospel is one where we are saved by faith in Christ and by faith alone. Having seen that, now let's consider the fact that the gospel offers living faith. The gospel offers living faith. Not only does faith justify us, but faith sanctifies sinners. Paul goes on to to say to Peter in Galatians 2.17, he says, But if... 
while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also found to be sinners. Is Christ then a minister of sin? If we're found to be sinners while seeking to be justified in Christ, is he then a minister of sin? May it never be, he says. You see, the Judaizers were concerned because they saw that the Old Testament law had come from God, which it did. However, they misunderstood the law's purpose. They saw the law as a means of justification, of right standing before God. So the argument went this way. It naturally went this way. If people were taught that they no longer needed to keep the law once they were in Christ, then Christ would actually be a minister of sin. He's saying if you tell people they don't need to eat certain foods, do you know where this is going to lead? If you tell people they don't need to be circumcised, if you tell people they don't... Don't you see where this is going to lead? They're going to be led further and further into sin. In other words, they were saying, if you push this whole grace thing too far... Won't people just sin all the more? So Paul says, no, may it never be. Because a proper understanding of God's grace brings freedom from sin, not bondage to sin. When you understand that God has, in His unmerited favor, in His grace, has freed you, has made you right, has declared you to be righteous, that you understand your need and your ability to live rightly in Christ. See, the same question is posed and and answered in Romans 5, 5.20-6.2. Paul says this, he says, The law came in so that transgression would increase. The law didn't come so that people would become less sinful. The law came so that transgression would increase. It showed people their need for a Savior. He says, but where sin increased... Grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through the righteousness through righteousness to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. It says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? So now look at verses eighteen through twenty one and notice that Paul begins to speak of his own life and his own experience. He's making a very personal appeal here. He says, For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, that is the system whereby I try to earn God's favor, I only prove myself to be a transgressor. He says, Why? Because through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. He says, Paul says, I had to die to the law, Peter, in order to live to God. So if I rebuild a life where I'm trying to be justified, before God, by earning His favor, then I'm actually accomplishing the opposite. I'm condemning myself. If I stand up, Peter, and I rebuild this system whereby I'm trying to earn God's favor, I only prove myself condemned. All I can do, Peter, is throw myself on the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, in other words, Paul says, it wasn't until he stopped trying to meet all of the law's requirements a task which ultimately was futile and led to death, until he stopped doing that, it wasn't until then that he was able to truly live in a way that was pleasing to God. So what was the result of Paul abandoning the law? Not abandoning it as a diagnostic, but abandoning it as a cure? It wasn't that he was led further into sin. Any more than abandoning the MRI booth for a cure would lead to more cancer. 
Instead, you say, no, this is crazy. I just keep going to this MRI booth and I'm not getting cured. He abandoned it. And he said, I need to find the real cure. And he, wasn't, he didn't slide further into sin as the Judaizers argued would be the result. Instead, the power of Christ became more evident in his life. Paul says, I died to the law and I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The power of God is in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul's saying, God's power is at work in me. I wasn't justified by faith. That is, he wasn't saved by faith. And he says, and I wasn't sanctified. I'm not being sanctified or set apart to live a godly life by works of the law. Instead, I'm sanctified. I'm set apart by faith. Paul's reliance on God's grace rather than human effort didn't produce more sin, but instead resulted in God's power being made manifest in his life. He says, when I relied on God's power, then, and he goes on and later in Galatians, and he says, the fruit of the Spirit was in my life. He doesn't say, you know, Peter, you're doing a really good job at trying to manufacture fruit. Instead, he says, stop it, Peter. Why are you trying to live in your own strength in such a way that you're keeping the law? When you abandon that and you throw yourself on God's grace, the natural result is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. The fruit of the Spirit. Stop trying to do it in your own strength, Peter. So Paul summarizes his point in verse 21 and says, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. He says, if we can be justified by some means other than grace through faith, then there's no reason for Jesus to die. That if you think you can be justified apart from Christ, you can be justified in your own strength, then there's no reason Jesus came to die. And he says, I will not, however, nullify. I will not declare to be invalid or unnecessary Christ's atoning work on the cross. I will not reject His grace. For it is only through His grace that we can be justified, that we can be declared righteous. And it is only through His grace that we can be made more righteous, that we can be sanctified. So by way of review, number one, the Gospel offers saving faith. A faith that justifies sinners, that declares us righteous before God. Not because of what we've done, but because of Christ, who He is, and what He's done in the Gospel. The Gospel offers saving faith that justifies. And the Gospel offers living faith. Faith that is real. Faith that sanctifies. Faith that sets us apart and calls us to holiness and enables us to live holy lives. To quote John Calvin, he said, It is therefore faith alone which justifies, and yet the faith which justifies is not alone. In other words, it's faith alone that gives us right standing before God, but it doesn't stand alone. That that faith alone produces in us sanctification. It sets us apart and grows us, that God grows us through that by His grace as we rely on on him. So the question is this, so how do we as Harmony Bible Church, both individually and corporately, specifically, apply all of this to our lives? How do we take this and apply it to our lives? 
Well, number one, I want to encourage you to look to God alone who can declare you righteous. This isn't about you and how many times you've gone to Sunday school, whether you grew up in the church or not. This isn't about the things you've done in the past. I actually had somebody in this very building say to me last week, you don't know the things I've done. And I wanted to cry. Because it doesn't matter. Right? You don't know the things I've done. Is what, I wanted, is what I said. And you know what else I should have said? And you don't know the things Bill's done. Because all those years of Sunday school, right? They're like, they're filthy rags. Those righteous deeds, when compared to the holiness and righteousness of God, they're like menstrual, dirty menstrual garments before God. It's sick. That all of that Sunday school doesn't make us right. Attending church doesn't make us right before God. That is only through faith in Christ. Trusting in, leaning in in and on what He has done for us. As God, come in the flesh. The One who died for our sins. Taking our place. And the One who is coming again to rescue us. So we look to God alone for righteousness. I'd encourage you to have faith, saving faith. Put your trust in Jesus Christ and in Him alone today. So have faith in Him alone, but have faith that doesn't stand alone. So the second point of application is look to God alone who can make you righteous. Not only does God declare us to be righteous, He does indeed make us righteous. That He grows us. He molds us. He makes us. And it's not through your human effort. It's not as though we get saved by grace and then we have to then work hard to grow. Yes, there is an element where we are called, we're accountable to our part in that, but it's God working through us. That's what Paul says. He says, I worked harder than, any of, than anyone, yet not I, but the grace of God. It was God's grace that enabled me to do that. It wasn't my strength. So look to God alone who can make you righteous. We're called not to manufacture fruit. We're called not to return to relying on our own ability to keep the law and be good people. And I'm afraid that it's far too easy to do this in churches. To look at the Gentiles out in the world and say, we're not like them. Do you, do you know the stuff they do, folks? Like, Do you understand the stuff they do? You turn on the TV, and it's very easy for us to be like, that is sick. That is disgusting. I'm glad I'm not like them. That's very dangerous to think that somehow we're keeping the law. Yes, there's privilege. Yeah, there's, there's real joy in being able to point to somebody who's, who you can say they grew up in the church. They were pointed to God's law over and over and over again. They were pointed to the truth. They were pointed to the fact that the law shows us our need for a Savior. The thing that we need to remember, that we need to do, is we need to consistently remember the truth of the Gospel. Paul says to the Ephesians, he says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that is now working, in the sons of disobedience. But God... You were living this way, but God, being rich in His mercy... For by grace you have been saved, he says. Study Ephesians 2. Live out Ephesians 2. And then he says, Therefore, remember that formerly you, 
the Gentiles in the flesh, he says, remember that you were at a time separate from Christ. That's where we get that strangers to the promises of God. That every one of us was at one point separated from God. But God in His grace has saved us. And God in His grace will grow us. So look to Him alone to make you righteous. And look to Him alone to declare you righteous. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for today. Thank You for an opportunity to reflect on the Gospel. God, I pray that if there is anyone here that has not experienced Your saving grace, that today would be the day. God, that today would be the day that they would draw a line in the sand, so to speak. That today would be the day where they would call out to You. That they would throw themselves upon Your grace and Your mercy. Not through the things that they've done, their goodness, and not self-wallowing in their badness, but instead looking to Your Son, Jesus, who alone is good. For we know there is none good but You. We praise You for that. We praise You for the provision of the Gospel. And God, I pray that everyone here would look to You alone to declare us right, justified, before You. And God, I pray that everyone here would also look to You alone to make us righteous. God, we know that it is only by grace that we will grow. It is only by remembering the Gospel, the greatness of our sin and the greatness of Your grace, God, that we will be continue to be changed, that we will be conformed to the image of Your Son. And God, we just pray and ask that You'd help us to be able to remain in You. God, give us the strength to look to you, and to grow in you day by day. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.